National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Pope Francis went to Kazakhstan this week to visit the small Catholic community there, as well as attend a Congress for Leaders of World Religions. A.C. Wimmer, an editor and journalist for EWTN News, joins us on Register Radio to discuss the papal trip, as well as the latest news of the German synodal path. Then we turn to Register National reporter Loretta Brown to look at Planned Parenthood's thriving transgender services business and how a growing number of people are speaking out against the adverse effects of so-called gender transition. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. I'm joined by Matthew Bunsen, EWTN News' Executive Director and my co-host here on Register Radio. Matthew, it has been a very busy week uh, for those who cover the Vatican and the Pope. Uh, it has. Uh, Pope Francis is uh, traveling again, but uh, also a lot of eyes are focused now, understandably, on Germany. That's right. And so this week was an interesting one. Uh, he, uh, the Pope was visiting a country that is predominantly Muslim, uh, has, a, I think, 1% uh, Catholic uh, population, um, but it was for this Congress uh, that, he, um, that he went to, Kazakhstan. And uh, one of the things he said uh, in, in, during that, the course of this Congress, which lasted from September 13th through, through the 15th, uh, was that the task of religion is to remind society of the sacredness of human life. And, and really, this was a Congress to emphasize peace, uh, and uh, and humanity, right? The brotherhood of humanity. And so uh, we are delighted to have A.C. Wimmer, who is the founding editor-in-chief of CNA Deutsch uh, and an editor uh, for Catholic News Agency, uh, with us today. He's been following this trip closely, um, most, mostly because one of the members of uh, CNA Deutsch, Rudolf Goering, was a part of the papal press corps on uh, the trip. So, AC, welcome to Register Radio. Thank you kindly. Delighted to be here. What are, from your perspective, as, as uh, someone who's been editing and, and helping to cover this for EWTN News, what are the highlights of this papal trip? If I can start on a personal level, I absolutely adore the icon that was blessed in the cathedral of Astana, the capital, that used to be called Nur Sultan for a few years. It's going back to Astana now of Kazakhstan. And why? Because the depiction of our mother is something that a local artist has created and is incredibly beautiful. And it was a highlight for the local Catholic minority. As you pointed out, it's a very small minority, but it's one that's very robust. We were told by Archbishop Thomas, who is the Archbishop in Astana, in an interview with CNA. And part of that faith is predicated on being in itself a, a minority that is alive, that is open to life, he was telling us, and that is expressed beautifully in this icon. So that's on a personal level, and perhaps also for the local community. But of course, there was also a strong political aspect to this trip. And uh, the Holy Father attended a conference that was an interreligious inter congress that adopted a declaration emphasizing fraternity, as you said at the outset. And these two elements, and the dynamic of them, I think, were incredibly interesting, especially also with the backdrop of, after all, Kazakhstan sharing a large border with both China and Russia of the geopolitical context and the war that we have between Russia and Ukraine. Well, you just hit on something very important, I think, uh, 
Christoph, and that's uh, that here we have uh, Kazakhstan, which, as you note, borders Russia, China. It's right near Mongolia. It's just north of uh, some of the, the key uh, flashpoints of Afghanistan, Iran. So on Wednesday, Francis told the gathering that the God does not guide religions toward war. Some say that this is an implicit criticism of uh, Patriarch Kirill, of the, the Russian Patriarchate of Moscow, uh, who has been supporting the invasion of, of Ukraine and also boycotted the Congress. How much has the war in Ukraine actually affected this trip? Well, it's been an absolutely striking element in terms of what it didn't achieve, namely a meeting between Patriarch Kirill and the Holy Father, of course. Um, some people were speculating that Kirill pulled out because of the events of the war and how politically things were unfolding and unraveling. Others are speculating that in particular the aspect of how religion plays a role in what Putin and what Petra Kirill are describing as a special operation in the Ukraine played a role. And so this was an important element in terms of what could not be achieved and what uh, Pope Francis was, of course, trying for, namely a personal meeting. On the other hand, we almost saw a meeting between Xi Jinping, the um, president of China, People's Republic of China, and uh, the Holy Father, because he was in town. So notably, you saw the Kazakh flag, the Vatican flag, and the Chinese flag on the streets of Astana, or Sultan, which is a striking image, I think, for what has been going on there. So Pope Francis met uh, for 15 minutes uh, with Metropolitan Anthony Volokolomsk, uh, the, the head of the Russian Orthodox delegation in Kazakhstan, who said that a second papal meeting is still on the table. Uh, as a sort of observer of all of these things, uh, how complicated now has the situation become in Catholic-Russian Orthodox dialogue? There is a lot of positive verbiage coming out of these meetings. There are attempts at emphasizing what is peace, harmony and understanding and fostering what is not only an ecumenical, but also, after all, a political dialogue. But at the end of the day, what we're going to see is the reality of this war and the political tensions playing out in a way that the actors, the protagonists, are not only the religious leaders involved, but also some of the other players, in particular the Russian president, but also Western governments, um, the American government, and the encounter that we saw on Wednesday between Pope Francis and the Russian Orthodox delegation has to be considered with, with that sort of backdrop. Um, it is about Christian unity and it is about peace. Pope Francis came as a pilgrim of peace, we were told, to foster encounter and dialogue and patient negotiations. But at the end of the day, these are all also political aspects and playing out within a wider sphere here. So, uh, AC, it's it's common um, <laughs> when you speak about interreligious uh, congresses and declarations. Uh, these these happen every few years, where these kind of world meetings um, with world uh, leaders of, of religions come together. And at those times, you sometimes hear criticism over uh, the outcomes of these uh, interreligious uh, dialogues. Um, some you know, just kind of questioning what is the ultimate end. Now, we know it's, in these circumstances, it's really peace. It's an appeal to peace. Um, but out of this one uh, came a declaration that has called for, or has called religious pluralism God's will. Um, give us some context for that and, and um, even why such a statement was made. So the document on human fraternity of Abu Dhabi is in the backdrop of this declaration. And there's been criticism 
because of what went down back then, uh, there's been criticism of these kinds of expressions, and yet they pop up again, as you rightly point out. And Catholics have criticized this because the understanding of a pluralism being wanted by God seems to counter what we believe and what the Catholic Church stands for, after all, the universal church. The justification is that, you know, there are theological, theological or, or political pragmatic um, aspects that fraternity can be achieved and that um, that fraternal duty is helpful also for what the church wants to achieve. We will see these popping up again, I fear, because in terms of how what you know what religious leaders are increasingly facing is, and this is something that came out in a lot of the speeches of other delegates at the Congress, I might add, the seventh Congress of its kind in, um, in this over the last few days, is that there is a strong secular countercurrent that they're all facing, and the role of religion is therefore changing vis-a-vis -vis the secularism. Yeah, very interesting. And you've you've brought up, and and we have kind of run out of time, but but you've brought up secularism, and we are kind of seeing in the German synodal path a great secularism kind of taking over. Uh, the Synodal Path members met last weekend. Uh, they voted uh, on a couple of important items. What was the outcome? <laughs> yeah, that was a great segue. I didn't really plan it that way. Um, <laughs> I think the keynote of secularism is indeed what's at play. So the great outcome is, and in terms of what the attendants wanted to achieve and voted for with a large majority, uh, the establishment or the call for establishing a permanent synodal way or synodal path, namely a synodal council. And such a such a body would oversee the church in Germany, would oversee what the dioceses, what the German bishops are doing, and would not only consult, but also pass resolutions. Now, some people have said, oh, don't worry, that's not a big issue because passing resolutions is what the synodal way is also doing, and the Vatican has made it amply clear that these are not legally binding. However, one might add that these are not legally binding, but are still being adapted and adopted by a number of bishops in the 27 dioceses in Germany, of course, because it is up to the bishop after all. And a similar thing might happen with a permanent synodal council. So that is why there are a number of observers who have raised very serious concerns and even allegations of schism. Now, there's one uh, aspect of, of last week's vote that did not pass. Can you briefly describe that one? This was a pro-LGBT document that would have called for a change to the uh, church teaching on sexual morality, on sexual ethics. It was blocked by a minority of bishops, led to a, a, a bit of a, a scandal because of the way that it was handled, and ultimately will probably change the synodal way, but only in terms of organizers making sure that other resolutions are adopted. Yeah, so maybe slowing things down, but it doesn't seem like it's stopping anything. Uh, AC, we are always appreciate, appreciative of the work uh, being done by CNA Deutsch and, and uh, your overseeing of CNA uh, in, in their Europe coverage. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You are listening to Register Radio on EWTN Radio. We are taking a short break now, but when we come back, Matthew and I will talk with Register reporter Loretta Brown about Planned Parenthood's push for transgender services and why it's harming the people they want to serve. Stay tuned. 
Archbishop Cordelione talks about the National Catholic Register. The Register's content is so critically important in the society we're living in now. There's an absence of the practice of religion in public life. So all the more important is it for people to be reading the Register so that they can acquire more understanding of our Catholic faith. I've appreciated the catechetical benefits of the content of the Register. It presents very clear Catholic teaching in a way that is easily digestible. To get six free issues, order online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. Call or click today. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. O God, I hope with complete trust that you will give me, through the merits of Jesus Christ, all the necessary grace in this world and everlasting life in the world to come. For this is what you have promised, and you always keep your promises. Amen. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Editor-in-Chief and Executive Director of the National Catholic Register. Handing out hormones like candy. That's the title, part of a title of a register story. And it's how a source in a register article written by reporter Loretta Brown. That's how the source described Planned Parenthood's approach to transgender-affirming services that they perform. Planned Parenthood called their approach an informed consent model of care, but some patients have found the process to be very detrimental to both their mental and physical health. Loretta Brown joins us here on Register Radio from the Washington, D.C. studio. Welcome, Loretta. Hi, thanks for having me. So Loretta, Kat Cattinson, I think that's how you say her name, is one such patient that has spoken about how Planned Parenthood's approach um, wasn't good for her. What was her experience? Yeah, so this cat had struggled with feelings that she was a boy. Um, you know, she she had some trauma in her past. She had a history of treatment for eating disorders and suicide attempts. And so finally, um, you know, at the age of 27, she saw that Planned Parenthood was providing um, hormone therapy. She had and gave them a call. And she talks about, yeah, after 30 minutes on the phone with them, where they did not review her psychological history, her, her issues with, um, you know, these, these different things, the trauma in her past, um, she received uh, testosterone shots. She was started on that. And she actually, she had to discontinue, um, you know, those, those shots because she's a singer and they made her voice really deep and she had a lot of pain and, you know, unexplained rage. There were all these side effects that, you know, you, you talk about something like this for 30 minutes and that didn't really come up, you know, and she was dealing with all these, with all these issues after, again, just a half hour phone call where they went ahead and gave her these testosterone shots and did not review the underlying, you know, history of mental health issues that she struggled yeah. with. 
Exactly. And she, in your article, she's not the only one who had the same kind of experience. Uh, there seem to be others who uh, were experiencing this as well. What, what did you find? Yeah, so this story it was so interesting. I, I kept seeing um, people from all these different walks of life and backgrounds talking about um, you know, Planned Parenthood's approach to hormones and the, the concerns they had with it. So, you know, Kat was one um, individual who, who went ahead and got hormones and had this bad experience, but um, there's this documentary, uh, Detransition Diaries, that really sheds light on some of these women's voices. Um, another young lady was Helena Kirshner, and she talked about a similar experience where she just, they didn't um, you know, talk for very long, and she, at the age of 18, just went ahead and received those those hormones. She even had a conversation with the Planned Parenthood um, representative where she said, you know, I feel like my hips are really big. Maybe I could get a little more testosterone because I feel like it's going to take a lot for me to start looking like a guy. And they went ahead and increased her dosage based on that conversation, um, you know, and so some of this this information was just really alarming. And there's even, I went ahead and saw on different social media sites, uh, videos of, of kids who maybe are even um, aligned with the transgender ideology. They think, if you want to transition genders, you should be able to go ahead and do that. But they talked about, yeah, it was a little strange that I just walked in and we really, they gave me a paper to look at and sign, but you know that was all. And so I think people have really noticed this, and it is concerning this this quote unquote in, informed consent approach, where exactly. you're given a, a paper. Yeah. What what is that? It, you're you're segueing into uh, what I wanted to ask next. What it which is, they call it an informed consent approach, and what is it? What does that mean to Planned Parenthood? And and. And how does that seem not to correspond to what many of us would think of as, um, as real consent? Well, right. So that approach involves, there's a paper, as I mentioned, with a list of some of the risks of going on testosterone or estrogen. And then um, there's also, though, a disclaimer. Um, I had gotten one of these informed consent papers. And there's a disclaimer on there saying, uh, you know, we can't know all the risks. And that's very true because this hasn't been, this over a very long period of time, this hasn't been done, um, this regular dosing with hormones um, of, of individuals. But so, so their approach though is you, um, as someone 18 or older, sign that paper and then you, you are given the testosterone or estrogen and there's no requirement of therapy, there's no requirement of a doctor's letter. And that's something where um, experts in this field talk about, you know, gender clinics, um, you know, across the country, they'll provide these different uh, therapies or, you know, hormone, tr hormone treatments, puberty blockers, whatever, but they, they do extensive therapy, most of them, beforehand. And so there was even a transgender individual, Erica Anderson, who helped develop guidelines for, um, you know, transgender care. And Anderson talked about um, you know, this, this model of quote-unquote informed consent is really concerning because there are instances where someone tr suffered trauma, there are instances where there's suicidal thoughts, there's just, um, you know, just different things. Obviously, you know, these teens, these young adults are going through where, um, 
you know, that doesn't come up because they're not screened and there's no requirement of therapy or, or anything. And often they just, they're, they're re, very eager thinking this will be a solution to their problems. And so they don't even really want to disclose um, some of the time, you know, these, these different things they've gone through. The pre-existing so, problems that, that could right. make this even worse. You know, Anderson, um, you, you mentioned this woman, Anderson, and uh, she, she warned, and this is a quote, absent an individualized comprehensive evaluation prior to initiating gender-affirming medicine, a, tra a gender transition may be premature or worse, inappropriate. And I think that's what we see when you hear of these people who are detransitioning, that they got into it too quickly. And they may actually still agree with the whole ideology but what they realized is that they were moving way too fast. Obviously, we don't agree with that ideology. We, we don't believe that uh, gender is something that we can change. We can't change um, the, the sex of our bodies, um, and, and especially can't change that without causing grave harm. That's what uh, Catholic teaching is. You know, um, you have pointed out, we started having these discussions about um, this, this issue with Planned Parenthood for uh, you know, months ago, but you started watching social media and that's where you started to see these people uh, concerned about, um, about Planned Parenthood's approach, these young people who have actually experienced the approach. But you have also documented that this has become quite a business for Planned Parenthood. Uh, how has their approach to this changed over recent years in terms of, of, of how, mu how much they're offering this? Yeah, certainly. So it's just actually exploded as a business. I mean, I, I don't think there's another word for it. I mean, in 2015, there was an article about you know their different services that noted that they had um, they had these services in 16 states at 65 locations, and currently they have them in 41 states. And so basically all across the country, right? right? At more than 200 of their centers, and they, they say they're, they have 35,000 uh, you know, patients of these uh, hormone therapy puberty blocker services. Uh, so really it's just the growth there um, from 2015 to now is is quite a lot and and the messaging around it too is significant i think um i think even yeah five years ago i wouldn't have seen um you know some of the messaging from the planned parenthood affiliates about the hormone therapy they offer and something i i put in my story was you know there was someone who there re was receiving um you know hormone therapy at at a planned parenthood who had a video they made for for this affiliate saying oh yeah just come here you know you don't need a letter from a doctor you don't need anything you just you, you can come in and, and um, they'll, they'll go ahead and give you start you on testosterone um, so really yeah the messaging has expanded around it and just simply where they're offering it it's really it's everywhere um, yeah. quite frankly you know Loretta this makes me think you know we, we are so used to hearing the term pro-choice right from Planned Parenthood um, this is is the same idea in the in a way because these people are saying hey it's our choice it doesn't really matter um, if there there could potentially be negative consequences or if I have a history that would make this actually worse for me it's just my choice right um, it, it this is a, another part of um, of the the semantics of, of uh, this movement and of Planned Parenthood they they're promoting this as a choice um, in in some ways um, 
that uh, is, is detached from anything else. And that's just not true. Um, and, and then there's the other part of this, is that Planned Parenthood requires you to be over 18. Um, but now there are many um, in some places who are pushing that, they, that even people younger than 18 um, should be able to do this without their parents' permission. Um, and so in California, there is this push. Um, it's a bill uh, in the state legislature. What is it, what is it asking for? Yeah, certainly. So this bill would create, quote unquote, a sanctuary state um, for minors coming to the state seeking, um, you know, what they're calling gender affirming care. And so, you know, that's hormone therapy, puberty blockers. And um, yeah, the idea there is that the this is a situation where, you know, they're viewing this as, as a kind of like necessary basic health care. So the state, in, in some cases, you know, based on the language of this bill, could completely overrule parental rights. If a parent doesn't agree with access to gender-affirming care, the, the state would take what it says in the bill is, quote, like temporary emergency jurisdiction there. And, uh, you know, the goal of that would be to ensure that this minor can get, um, you know, this, the, these sorts of treatments. And it's, it's quite, um, yeah, it's quite extensive. I think a lot of people are, are alarmed. There was this, this girl who, she's a detransitioner. She was someone who had, had transitioned um, to living as a male and, and detransitioned. And she testified against this bill, um, you know, because she'd gone through all of that in California at the age of 15. Um, oh, wow. And she, yeah, so she talked about like, yeah, I certainly, uh, Chloe Cole is her name, and, and she just speaks very well on this, but she was saying, yeah, I, I wasn't in a position to make this decision, and the state definitely um, kind of just fast-tracked me on this. You know, the, the therapists, there's, there's laws against kind of speaking out about concerns about this kind of care even. Um, right. You know, some of it under other state laws, yeah, are, aren't permitted, that, that sort of cons raising concerns. Right, and it's all called "quote unquote" gender affirming care, and uh, and and it's falsely uh, t t termed therapy, and and really this is a service, and oftentimes a business, and it can really do great harm. So I encourage our listeners uh, to read Loretta Brown's. Uh, stories on this. We've been talking to her. She's our national uh, correspondent for the National Catholic Register. And the story, Handing Out Hormones Like Candy, uh, that's Planned Parenthood's work, uh, can be uh, found at ncregister.com. And so can her other piece about the California Sanctuary State uh, bill that is making its way through the legislature. It's important for us to stay on top of these things. And Loretta, I pr appreciate your work. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. As always, thanks for joining us here on Register Radio on EWTN. For Matthew Bunsen and our producer, Jeff Burson, I'm Jeanette DeMello. And until next week, may God bless you. For more information about the National Catholic Register and about Register Radio, go to ncregister.com. Podcasts of Register Radio are posted on ncregister.com and on EWTN.com. Join us next week at this time for Register Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.